situation we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Behind the Headlines. I'm Neil Bradley, my co-host Joe Quinn. Uh, hello. My other co-host, Lan Martin. Hi, everyone. Harrison Keeley. Hello. And Carolyn McCallum is joining us again this week. Hi. Okay, so let's look back at the week that was. Um, big surprise in the US although not a surprise in some ways the big kerfuffle Trump fired Comey and the US media went ballistic you can't do that Mr. President yes I can actually um, we'll also be looking at the well we, we knew we heard about this on air last week that France elected the new president he's officially sworn in today takes over from Francois Hollande. He passes the crown to Emmanuel Macron, who everyone knows about now, but no one knew about anything about him nine months ago. And we'll also be looking a bit um some other topics. Uh, there's a recent wave, global wave of uh, computer viruses affecting some countries in particular, but um, not been in the news cycle for the last 24 hours or so. We'll try and see what's, we'll try and get to the bottom of that. Um, today, also, we should mention in passing, is the very interesting development taking place in China. It's the first uh, annual meeting of world heads of states and who are together jointly with China launching the One Belt, One Road initiative. So we'll cover a bit of that as well. Back to the goings-on in the West, though. Um, tr- Donald Trump's firing of FBI Director Comey um, ends a, a weird tale, really, going back to the election campaigns late last year. And it's a very... It's, it's provided a lot of hilarity and also insight into what's going on. I mean... Speaking for myself, I mean, I've wavered in the last few weeks as to whether or not Trump's, you know, folded to the deep state. Is he fainting something? Maybe he's trying to play something. I think I got a pretty clear signal this week. I'm satisfied that he's still in the game, so to speak. He's still doing one thing, um, rather saying one thing and doing another. He's not folded just yet. It's certainly not his complete set of cards anyway. So um, I just would comment first of all that it's uh, classic Trump. I mean he, you're fired. He didn't quite get up in front of the TVs like he's used to doing on his TV show The Apprentice and say you're fired but the way it was delivered everyone got to know it was effectively as 
humiliating as being fired like that on live on TV for for director Clinton. Well, in in the sense, yeah, it's because there was a televised press conference when when the letter dropped, and one of his aides kind of hustled up to him while he was in the middle of this speech and said, uh, you have to go. <laughs> well, I, I heard he was on his way to a press conference, like oh. on a plane or something, and then he okay. saw it on the TV. Anyway. I way. heard. I heard Callan's version. <laughs> uh, yeah. I heard Callan's version, and it was fleshed out. I mean, I don't think this is propaganda, so to speak. I, this is what the, Trump wanted people to hear. I think I read it on uh, Associated Press that he was <laughs> giving a talk to yeah. FBI employees in LA or San Francisco, somewhere in California. Yeah, yeah. And a TV, there's a TV monitor behind them, oh. and he carries on talking, but there's a murmur in the crowd. <laughs> and he, he's like, he stops, he stops what he's saying, he turns around, and he looks at the screen, <laughs> and it, the breaking news is that Comey has been fired. <laughs> and he turned back and said to everyone in, in attendance, oh, someone's playing a practical joke, until one of his people came out and Tapped him on the elbow and says, "You might want to come into this side room here." And it was it was officially informed that he'd been fired. <laughs> Whether that's true or not, I love that version. <laughs> it's 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 so perfect. It's it's so television. <laughs> exactly, and that's clever use of the media. He's very smart. Well, and not only, oh yeah, um, not only that. I mean, it, it was it was pretty ballsy to to have him fire him in the middle of this Russian investigation. Large quotes. And then um, Trump just sort of basically, you know, visually saying "screw you" by receiving Lavar the next day. You know, it's just like, okay, you yeah. can say all you want. I'm still talking to him. Yeah. <laughs> now, I, I think that was scheduled. I think Lavrov, it was known that he was going to meet Trump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, at least since the week before. But yes, the timing of of the firing of the director, who supposedly himself very, very busy investigating Trump's Russian connections is like Trump's way of saying, let's just put a lid on this and or showing two fingers back to, you know, who and mm-hmm. um, saying, I'm calling a bluff on this. You think this is going to go on and on? Well, I'm going to at least try and put an end to it. Mm-hmm. Uh that isn't how most of the media talking heads responded, though. They just went full bore with, well, the timing obviously means that Trump is, this is confirmation, he is an agent sent by the Kremlin to destroy us all. Um, yeah. And they ran with it. And they were so brazen. Uh, as we mentioned in the, in the intro to the show, um, I, I listened to Lindsey Graham. He joined a morning chat show. You know, it had been broken the night before on the Tuesday. He joins like um, NBC's the, the 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 show with Joe Scarborough and uh, his wife Brzezinski's morning, morning show with mm-hmm. what's her name Brzezinski's daughter, and he's actually coming on, and they're expecting him, you know, to be like full bore vitriolic Russia this Russia that, and Lindsay's like, no, nah, I, I I believe what the president says. He had to go. We and he said he mentioned the obvious point of hypocrisy in all of this, which is that, look, until very recently, leading Democrats were calling for Comey's head. Mm-hmm. So they were totally flat-footed. And I think people like Lindsay 
in Washington know that. But the media still has this kind of, um, it's got momentum. <laughs> so yeah. they, they yeah. went too, too far in pushing the, this is confirmation, the blah, 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 and Russia behind everything. And they ended up with a lot of egg in their face. And I, I think just in passing, I think I saw a lot of comments, probably from people who themselves were in doubt or unsure, saying, no, this is, this is ridiculous. Enough with Russia, please. Mm. So well, then you get, did on. you see the thing from Mac, Maxine Waters? This is a, I'm, no. I'm, ter, ter, oh, oh my God. This woman is insane. She should be locked up. She's a congresswoman, right? Senator? Yes. Congresswoman. Mm -hmm. So she says, this is, this is a near quote. I'm very upset that Trump fired Comey, but I wouldn't have minded if Hillary had fired him. <laughs> I see. Like, what, do you, what, do you, what do you say? I see, yeah. It's a declaration of hypocrisy right there. Well, my, my favorite bit of hysteria among the Dems or, or anybody in the media recently was uh, Senator Cory Booker of New Jersey coming out and saying, uh, the Russians are coming and this is our Paul Revere moment and we have to stand up to this and 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 the Comey thing is just a distraction and we really have to be paying attention to the fact that the Russians are coming, uh, in quotes, um, or words to that effect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, really, of course, uh, mm -hmm. he has no sense of irony. He doesn't, he didn't know when he said that. But that's the title of a famous Cold War era satire about the Russians literally coming and invading and occupying the United States. Mm -hmm. Anyone seen that movie? I oh, have. Yeah, it's very funny. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. Yeah. But they're really coming this time. Don't you know? And then yes. there was the that uh, that new Fox News anchor talking head woman i don't know her name who went on starting and started to speak in russian and then said oh i better you know i've already got a a lineup because uh i know the language of our overlords and whenever russia invades and takes over a place they make everyone speak russian so i just thought i'd get in on that and it was just and well the thing about watching this woman um is that i don't know like apparently she's been working for years in in journalism like she made a reference in there to like 10 years you know, I've I've been saying bad things about the Russians for ten years, but um, she's not very good. When you actually listen to what she says, usually people on um, you know professional news programs they know how to speak, and you can tell they're kind of professional. But this woman, like she she couldn't really string together a complete sentence, and she'd fumble her words pretty much every sentence. And you know, Fox News isn't the paragon of journalistic, you know highbrow entertainment but even then you know they can speak like tucker carlson can actually speak in complete sentences they've had some training they've had some training but this woman i mean it was just sad to to actually watch her because not only was she just not good at what she's supposed to be doing she was just completely like paranoid like uh psychotic so i don't know what they're thinking getting her but she like the the others um truly believes I mean, they, they, these people are connected to or, or in a parallel reality because they really believe what they're saying. Mm -hmm. She thought yeah. she was presenting kind of like an 
irony, but from the other point of view. So, for example, we had a show, we've done it a couple of times, where we jokingly introduce our show <laughs> by either ha- trying to speak some Russian ourselves or having, you know, playing something of someone speaking Russian. Playing the, we, did, we played the Russian National Anthem once as a joke, you know. <laughs> and we're all Russian now because they, particularly in the U.S., uh, are pushing this angle that fake news is primarily emerging from Russia. And all these alternative slash conspiracy websites and independent media are all Russian trolls. So we joke and we play along, we play it up, we overdo it by playing the Russian national anthem to suggest that, yes, we're fully in line to win the pockets of the Kremlin. She's coming at it from the other way where she begins speaking Russian on her on the Fox News show and then it breaks to explain, yeah, I'm doing this because the Russians, it's not just that they're coming, but they're here and, you know, they're our overlords. Yeah, it, it's completely psychotic uh, in context, but there will, there'll be enough people out there. I think a good few people who will, will be, I suppose, laughing with her because it's a joke, mm-hmm. but believing it too. Mm-hmm. It's their version of irony. It's irony inverted. I don't know what irony, the square root of irony. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like it, they've they've gone total conspiracy theory. Like um, fifteen years ago. Like if you'd look at Alex Jones, who was considered fringe, you know, a crazy conspiracy theorist back before he was as popular as he was today, you know, he was still popular, but, you know, he and others would be talking about the UN is going to take over and China's going to be running the American and we're all going to be speaking Chinese. And well, he's like, still saying that, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, it's like that's that. gone mainstream now. It's just Russian instead of Chinese. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's yeah, it's very similar. It's, it's, um, we have had more conspiracy theories coming from the U.S. government in, it, in the broadest sense of that term in the last few years than ever have been produced by wacky so-called conspiracy theorists who at least have the independence to think and often get things right mm-hmm. and sometimes get things very wrong. But they're less to give them a 50-50. But it's just, at the moment, it is non-stop conspiracy theory, like no attachment to reality, pumping out of the U.S. across all these media channels. And it's not just in the U.S., of course. It's international. I mean, it's it's really global in scope. It's like capitals from Canberra, Australia, to uh, Hong Kong produces stuff like this as well. It's like, this, well, it's like everybody gets gets a memo and then you just translate it into your own language and off you go. Well, that's what you'd like to think, right? Who's sending out the memos? But I think it's more like yeah. they, they just all think alike um, <laughs> yeah. rather than a memo comes from headquarters and then everyone gets the message. It, it's kind of like signals are more subconscious than that and then everyone knows what's the correct thing to say, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, this woman, uh, the Fox News, uh, that doesn't make any sense. Fox News, I thought they were basically like on the other side of this debate, fight. Well, I don't um, want, I don't watch it enough, but I, th- I think for the most part, it's just like um, Tucker Carlson and uh, Sean Hannity, I think, who have been really kind of going after it. But I think for the most part, from what I hear, like I said, I don't watch Fox News, so but from what I hear, everyone else is still pretty kind of mainstream Republican. I uh, don't know for sure, though. But well, an argument could be made that they're kind of playing both sides, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, 
just anticipating a time when they'll come out on top or at least in you know uh, intact after whatever fallout occurs from uh, the Trump presidency, whether he stays or or goes. Um, but yeah, you do have the two biggest uh, and arguably most popular mouthpieces on Fox News, Tucker Carlson, especially uh, adding a, a level of uh, intelligence and, and rigor, even if uh, he kind of prefaces a lot of what he says with, you know, I don't doubt there was some um, interference, uh, but he, he doesn't play that up as much as many of the others. Mm. Um. <clears throat> Well, the media, you know, the media is meant to be actually impartial. It's not meant, it's not allowed to come out and be fully, you know, one pro one one side or pro one camp or pro the president where it's meant to, isn't Fox, Fox News is, uh, uh, Fox News' News' slogan is fair and balanced or something like that or mm-hmm. something along those lines, you know? So, I mean, obviously, yes, there's no media outlet that could, you know, for, you know, for months and months or consistently um, come out in favor of, uh, across the board in favor of uh, the president, you know, without uh, provoking calls of bias and impartiality. Of course, they're all biased and impartial in one way or another anyway, but they have to keep up the appearance that they're not, you know, at least to some extent. So I reckon that must be, that's probably the reason for it, you know, that Fox just basically decided to, um, let's let the other campaign, let them have their say type thing, you know. I think uh, Alon's onto something with the idea of, you know, you keep a foot in each camp and, and that way, you know, you're covered. I mean, look what happened yeah. to MSNBC. I mean, they were full bore Clinton and apparently their ratings are in the basement now because they mm. just threw their whole weight behind her and, and they're paying, mm-hmm. they're paying big time now. Right. So. But they're still there, still in your face. Every day, I, I think I don't think it depends on ratings anymore. These people, I mean, the the CEO of CNN said he would destroy Trump, and that's his mission now. So mm-hmm. funding, if funding, if funding isn't dependent on ratings for these people, they're they're so big. Um, yeah. In one of the countless fake news pieces this week, you remember the photos of Lavrov and the Russian ambassador in the White House. Not just in the White House, they were invited into the Oval Office, the inner sanctum. Oh my God. And there was disgust. And They're uproar. dropping bugging devices. And apparently that's not supposed to happen. Only heads of state are allowed. Anyway, um, those photos were taken by... No, they, they said, the media said, the left the lefty media said that... Uh, only heads of state are allowed in the Oval Office, but that's not true. I know, that's why I'm, yeah, that's why I'm saying it, yeah. No, no, they, they, yeah, they, they'll make it up as they go along, like that's not supposed to happen, but it's to feed the, this is unusual, this isn't against protocol, he's not supposed to do this. Right. Thing. Uh, and then they got upset with these photos because they, they're photos taken by the Russians. Um, I think the Minister, Ministry of Foreign Affairs, so whoever Lavrov brought with them, snapped those photos, and then they were, I think, tweeted by the Russian Foreign Ministry and then published by a Russian news agency. And that's the only way that they were seen internationally. And that's how the US media got them. So CNN ran a piece uh, 
on the the two days after I think uh, claiming that uh, their White House source says that the White House staff are very upset about this and that it shouldn't have happened and that it was breach of security and something else. What was the specific claim? Oh, that uh, no journalists were allowed in, only Russian journalists. Right. not true. That there was one photographer, one for TASS, one for whoever the Americans were. I don't know who it was. But everybody made a big thing about, oh, the American journalists were barred from this meeting. Only the Russian journalists were allowed in. But, I mean, nobody was allowed in except the two photographers. Nuts. Right. Um, but this was obviously the fakest news you can ever. They were trying to suggest that, you know, there was uproar among the staff that the Russians had released the photos, that they, that they hadn't been, had not been allowed to by, the, by Trump and his people. And their 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 source. Think about that for a second. The CNN has a reliable source in the White House. That's just right there. That's complete BS. The CNN is like does not have anyone like inside the White House. Trump has probably seen to that. Mm-hmm. So that's a classic case of well, we can't allow the obvious. You know, the the fact that there was a meeting, all smiles. We need we need to sully that obvious message immediately mm-hmm. and say that mm-hmm. it wasn't supposed to happen. Everyone's upset about it. Blah blah blah. So that's a classic fake news spin, and just a small example of this endless stream of it coming out of the U.S. media is where is it going to end? Well, part of Part of this whole controversy in particular with Comey is that it's this, uh, that Trump fired him out of a politically motivated move to end the investigation into the alleged connection Trump might have with the Russians. And uh, there's an excellent piece on, uh, on SOT that came out a couple of days ago by Alexander Mercurius, where he quotes uh, extensively from... Um, the Deputy Attorney General Rod J. Rosenstein, who wrote this um, the subject, was restoring public confidence in the FBI and really spoke to all the many reasons why firing Comey was a totally legitimate and kind of uh, accurate call on the part of uh, the Trump administration. And, you know, among several of the reasons why Comey was fired was because he was uh, handling the whole Clinton investigation uh, with the email server and, and all of that uh, outside of the normal channels and steps that uh, that the FBI would be taking with the Justice Department. So he he basically kind of vaunted himself up as this, you know, judge, jury, and, and decider of, of what was to be done with all of this information, which was totally inappropriate. Um, and what uh, Rosenstein does is he cites all of these uh, people who are involved in the uh, Justice Department and, and FBI in prior, like in the prior 15 years who've been observing the situation. 
And they all basically came out to say that what Comey's done uh, in regards to the investigation into the emails is totally unprofessional and deserving of, of being fired. Mm. So there's a, a very good argument. Um, you know, you can say that there's a, a confluence in interests in, 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 um, in firing Comey for the Russian investigation. But then again, even there, I mean, there, there has been absolutely no shred of evidence, as we've stated here many times before, uh, that would lead anybody to conclude that there's anything, any nefarious connections between Trump and, and the Russians. So I think, you know, also Trump's like, well, you know, if you're just going to go on with this mm-hmm. and, and you're not even basically doing your, your job uh, for the past year or so in regards to Clinton, you're, you're useless. Uh, you know, never mind how you're damaging my ability to run as president. You're just, uh, you're, you're a tool for other interests. Um, so there's that. Well, apparently, um, I don't know if it was the last straw, but the day before he was fired, he had gone to Congress looking for more money to continue this Russian inquiry. And, um, the couple of articles I read on Stott, um, came to the conclusion that this is more like a, a cover your ass movement. Like if, if he could keep the investigation going, um, and, and keep, you know, attention on that, it would distract away from all of these other blunders or who knows, deliberate decisions that he made. It would, it would pull the focus away from the whole Clinton thing and, and, you know, and keep him employed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's another point too that that's been made previously. And that is that, um, Comey and John Brennan of the CIA and James Clapper, the director of, uh, of intelligence um, had all kind of come to this agreement uh, last summer um, when it became clear that Clinton, it was between Clinton and Trump. And uh, actually it's been stated that this little group of intelligence people didn't like either candidate. So, so um, Comey's job was two pronged. It was to basically shoot down both of them. Uh, in his position as director of the FBI. And, uh, you know, w- whether that's true or not, whether there's this kind of pl- long-term plan to take both of these people out and replace them with someone like uh, Colin Powell, uh, who the deep state likes, uh, the, the fact remains that this is a, this appears to be what Comey has, has done. Um, so there is that as well. Wait a a plan to like, basically push for, the push, for, push for the impeachment of Trump and then replace him with Colin Powell? Yeah. Well, well yeah, so when, when be, the... Knock them both out of the race, even, would have been better. Oh, beforehand, Co- you mean? B- before and after. So after Trump was inaugurated, uh, as part of this plan, you know, that when they were working through the electoral college and trying to convince uh, Republican electoral college leaders to uh, not vote Trump into office. Uh, it was proposed, I think in Washington state that Colin Powell, <laughs> who wasn't even running for election, 
be be stuck in there. But that's something I'd only read in one or two places. And uh, but that's very interesting that he would even be put on a ticket or presented as a viable answer to um, this kind of uh, effort. So, so there, there was basically a landmine set for whoever got in in office. If you know Trump got in, so they tried the whole dossier thing. If Hillary had gotten in, then they had the whole email scandal just waiting. So they they had, uh, you know, for Hillary it would have been a legitimate way to remove her. For Trump, they tried their best with with this yeah questionable yeah. file. But but so there there was you know traps laid for both to get them both out of the way, possibly. Well, may, let's not go too far. The, func- the function of the FBI director, as established originally by J. Edgar Hoover and managed by him for 40 years, the, the funny thing about all the talk about procedures, who should have done what, should that have been shared with the you know Attorney General and all this stuff, uh, did, did he go beyond his remit as FBI director, blah, blah, blah. J. Edgar Hoover ran the FBI as a political blackmail tool function that's what its primary purpose was you get blackmail on everybody and then you manage how and when to use it for personal political favors of course that kept J. Edgar Hoover in power 40 years um, but also for you know trade-offs with other agencies with other actors in the so-called deep state so it it, its actual function is completely political, which is the, f- the funny thing that you're hearing all week about how well, the, F- the FBI should be non-political. They shouldn't be politicized. You know, Trump shouldn't be involved like this. Uh, I'm terrified. <laughs> He's overstepped his bounds. Uh, what about the separation of powers and all this blah, blah, blah? No, the FBI is a political policing unit. It, it gathers blackmail and then it just manages how it uses it, puts a little pressure here, a little pressure there. It might be called mm-hmm. to do something drastic, like drop a bombshell that gets a president impeached or a candidate knocked out of the race. But short of going that far, the behavior of Comey is actually consistent with the FBI director's role as established by his founder, mm-hmm. which is you sit on two fences and you kind of hedge bets both ways. And he was just doing what we thought <laughs> he's supposed to do. You know, maybe it was hinted to him that's how you do it, or that's how just, he just learned as he went along how to do it. And uh, Trump, and that's so much out of personal grievance with Comey. Well, we don't know, of course, but more out of an opportunity. I think he saw an opportunity to send a message throughout DC um, yeah. by firing Comey. Now, he had an interesting follow-up. He's been on Twitter. <laughs> He's good on Twitter, though. You have to give him credit. Like, the left and the liberals, they mocked him for, for being on Twitter. You're the president. You're not supposed to be on Twitter. But when he goes around, <laughs> he, he can drop a few, like, bombshells. Um, and one of them was a hint or a threat to Comey, now fired, that if he's considering, you know, talking to the press and revealing, you know, truths or fake stuff, who knows about Trump. Just remember that I have our conversations recorded somewhere. You know, it's I can black. get you back. It's blackmail. I'm blackmailing you right back. Blackmail, blackmail. You want to you do what you think you're going to do? Yeah, I got tapes too. And that's... <laughs> the, 
which also speaks to another theme in the U.S. media all week about how Nixonian all of this is because, yes. of course, there's the throwback to Richard Nixon. and Saturday Watergate. Night Massacre. Yes. <laughs> oh, it's so like that. Well, it's kind of like that. And this endless chatter about Nixon. But it's an interesting thing to bring up because um, it's only really in hindsight that we can see that Nixon was up against people who had it in for him. Mm-hmm. And then he he just bowed out. He literally folded. He said, "Right, I'll resign." Um, and that was blackmail, blackmail of this versus that. And uh, there were bigger, darker, scarier people people than him, and they won. He yielded. So it is there is an actual a similarity with that situation, just not in the way that the media is harping on about. So yeah, there doesn't really seem to be any any evidence of blackmail going on here though you know um against trump um and it doesn't i mean i i, I wonder i can't really understand why there would be <clears throat> or what the blackmail angle would be and uh, well if, if, if he Clinton, was being bought yeah go ahead. Go ahead. i was gonna say if he was being blackmailed then comey wouldn't have been fired right exactly you know and right. and that's and point, he did know. try to give comey yeah you know, he yeah, tried, he, and he tried to make a, uh, an ally of him. He went to the FBI and he made that whole speech about columns. But also, instead of replacing him right off the hop, he gave him five months to show, you know, which side which side he was on. Right. I mean, there may have been a there may have been a blackmail element with with Clinton, you know, but I'm not sure that was that was so much blackmail either, as opposed to maybe just certain people. I mean, Clinton was pretty. Clinton made a lot of enemies, you know, so it may have been people within the agency who simply didn't like Clinton at all. You know, there might have been internal kind of uh, pressures on, on Comey back last year, you know, in July and, and November to 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 not completely sit on. I mean, the FBI, some people in the FBI still have some uh, sense of uh, integrity and they couldn't stomach the idea of uh, <laughs> the, the feds, the agency s- sitting on the massive amount of uh, evidence, you know, clear evidence of uh illegality on the part of <clears throat> Clinton. <clears throat> so Comey came under pressure to uh, to say something, you know, to come out and do something, do your freaking job, like, you know, don't make a mockery of it, basically, of of the agency, uh, which is officially uh, tasked with prosecuting or bringing evidence or investigating wrongdoers. And here you have uh, a presidential um, nominee and uh, um, who is just like, got amazingly dirty hands basically and they, and they have the evidence for it and he's just going to not do anything and in addition a lot of people don't actually like her so I think he was trying to kind of he was trying to you know pander to certain pressures uh, to do that to not just let her get completely away but at the same time he was in a difficult position where um, he couldn't just come out and um, you know really dump all of the information that they had against her because that would have meant that she would have been out of the race and he would have precipitated a constitutional crisis basically because, you know, at the last minute almost, you basically pull one of the candidates uh, out of the presidential race. Well, then it makes a mockery of American democracy. What's going to happen basically in that situation? He's going to shoe someone in at the last minute who's obviously going to lose. I mean, he would have been accused in that situation of uh, of really giving the, the presidency to Trump, you know, very clearly um, or... or Seriously messing with the whole uh, with the whole process, you know. So he couldn't come out and give them 
everything or dro- dump everything into the, into the public domain against Clinton, but he had to give a little bit. So, and I don't think, I mean, certainly it damaged her reputation, I think, but I don't think she had much of a reputation before uh, to go on beforehand. She wasn't going to win anyway, basically. And I think there was some study recently that uh, kind of suggested that was the case, that it didn't really change, uh, didn't really swing people against Clinton in any significant numbers I that heard, weren't already yeah, against her, you know? I heard so, that um, the 85 plus percent of people had decided by June yeah, who they're voting for. Right, so... Yeah, so there's no, um, that was maybe what the kind of thing was going on back then and everything since then about Trump, uh, about Comey gifting the presidency to Trump is just nonsense, you know. Uh, that that was the situation back then, that he was just coming under, under pressure, do something about this evil Clinton woman and, you know, release something. And then more recently, since January, like uh, as you were saying, Carolyn, um, he was given a chance, you know. And he didn't basically... Kind of as the saying goes, shit or get off the pot. Basically, you know what I mean. I mean, he's a bit of a he's a bit of a, a pathetic, uh, cast a bit of a pathetic image in that sense. You know where he was, uh, you know, half-heartedly investigating Trump for his yeah. Russian ties, but at the same time not actually going full bore and saying, you know, let's get this orange-faced doofus out of there you know he didn't basically come down on one side or the other he was still trying to be oh you know we're just the i'm just the fbi we're just here to do see justice served and you know we're just going to carry on it's like dude no you're not you're going to pick a freaking side do it quickly or you're going to uh, fall between two stools basically as well and it's or i you're going to be booted you know you're going to be hated by someone you know wake the hell up you know for all his uh, stature uh, physical stature this comey guy is like six foot six or something like that he doesn't seem to be very smart you know uh, he wasn't able to kind of figure out that you can't just, you know, play games with two sides. They're really the only two sides in that sense. Uh, in American politics right now, you can't just, or even try think you can play one off against the other or whatever. You know, in the, in the current climate, you got to pick a side and, and, go, and go with it, you know. And he didn't. Uh, and he, he suffered the fate of someone who's uh, stupid enough to, to not uh, see what's really going on, you know. Mm-hmm. That it's a war out there. You know, um, and Trump's uh, Trump's well used to firing people. <laughs> that's what everybody should, uh, everybody around should be aware of that. You know, uh, at least now. That, anyway, that's, uh, that that he said that ter- he said that phrase in uh, what do you call it in the uh, in his reality TV show in The Apprentice. Yeah, you're fired. He said mm-hmm. enough times to to be kind of <laughs> to roll He's off his tongue pretty quickly. Sleep. He tends to have no a, trigger, sleep. a trigger finger for that kind of thing. You know. Here's an example. I think he showed a lot of he showed a lot of forbearance, actually. Yeah. Here's an example of the kind of things the FBI has been up to under Comey. Um, in early October, that's a month before the election, uh, the U.S. began publicly the intelligence community, as they like to be known, began publicly accusing Russia of. Uh, hacking and then leaking the Democratic Party emails. So they're the Podesta emails, I think, or the DNC. I'm not sure. Um, And at that point, a Russian citizen was arrested in Prague, Czech Republic, um, on hacking charges by the Czech authorities at the request of the U.S., but not related to um, political interference in the U.S., 
It was over something else. I think it was some some financial fraud. Uh, he's still in Czech Republic now, but he's been speaking to the media there through a lawyer, I think. And he said this week that while he's waiting to go to trial, um, which would decide whether or not he's extradited to the U.S., that uh, the FBI have visited visited him in jail in Prague at least a couple of times since last October and as recently as February. I'm quoting now a report from Reuters. The FBI visited him a couple of times offering to drop the charges and grant him U.S. citizenship as well as cash and an apartment in the United States if this guy whose name is Nikulin, surname Nikulin, if (laughs) he confessed to participating in the 2016 hacks of the Clinton campaign chief, John Podesta, it's the Podesta emails back in July. And he said, no way. (laughs) Nothing to do with that. He said, no way. Uh, He's yes, so the, he said at least two visits. And there were some other U.S. officials who didn't say whether or not they were FBI. So they're like desperately trying to make facts on the ground, some rea- give some reality to their their narrative. For <laughs> uh, what it's worth, the Russians also want this guy on fraud charges, financial fraud charges. And they're, they're competing with the U.S. to get him extradited to Moscow, which is interesting because that's holding up the whole process. So the U.S. can't make a big show trial out of this. I wonder if that's a deliberate move by Russia to sort of nip this in the bud, but we'll see. Hmm. And that's so absurd because wasn't wasn't there a, a former ambassador to England or something who came out on several platforms, several different, you know, Green, not Greenwald, but a couple of Correct, other. Correct, Murray, maybe. Uh, yeah, who said the, the Russians had nothing to do with this. This was a DNC insider. He gave me the files, personally right. handed them to me, you know, and well, then there's yeah. not a shot of vodka in sight anywhere. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's pretty amazing. I mean, he, I think he said he met them. He said the, that WikiLeaks, who, you know, released the, the, uh, the emails, know, uh, mm-hmm. obviously knows the, knows the guy who gave it to him and that Craig Murray, the, former British ambassador to Uzbekistan, he uh, he said, because he, he hangs out in the embassy with Assange now and again, and he said he met the, the guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, don't, I don't know mm-hmm. how that happened. He didn't say any more, but he met the guy, and he knows that he knows that he's not a he's not a, a Russian hacker. He's actually, and he didn't say it explicitly, but he kind of intimated that it was, that he was not Russian. He was Western, and that, mm-hmm. uh, and that he was an insider, uh, a DNC insider. And the whole thing is that <laughs> that 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 the the likelihood of that being the case was there at the begin, very beginning. But you know, from the very beginning, from day one when these uh, last year when these emails came out, there was um, <clears throat> there was no no reference to that at all. I don't know if you guys uh, ever saw a reference to it, but I did not see a reference to it in the mainstream media mm-hmm. once ever no. to, to the first most obvious um, idea or theory as to where this came from, uh, where these emails, where this hack supposed hack came from. They started using the word hack. And yeah, it might have been a hack. I suppose technically if someone in your company puts a USB key into his computer or someone's computer and downloads a bunch of emails or copies a bunch of emails to a USB key and then walks out of the building like he does every day, that's technically a hack, right? No, it's a leak. 
And so a big dis- discussion of the well, difference between a hack, a hack and a leak. I well, mean, somebody who has authorized Carlin. access. It's semantics, Carolyn. I mean, we can still say it's a hack. And we're going to run with the idea that it's a hack. Because okay, because that's, that's so much more glamorous. Well, it's so it's much more glamorous than a leak. <laughs> well, it allows us to then use the word hack and say, well, who like did, that's who, right. who might have this been? <laughs> and this might have been Russians because it was a hack because it's a distance. You know, so... Right. Uh, because you need some yeah. skills to be able to put a USB key into the side of a computer, you know? That's kind of oh, like, sort of like hacking skills, you know? I mean, <laughs> in that case, we're all hackers, you know? We hack our computers every day by logging on and stuff, you know? So, uh, but that's, it's amazing just how quickly they ran with that, that there was no, no reference whatsoever to uh, the idea that it was an insider, which is the most obvious thing. There's these people running around all the time. And even the only thing I saw at the time was that people, some people said that, uh, Clinton was uh, a lot of people didn't like her. Uh, she that uh, a lot of, there was some some reports about um, not really in the mainstream media, but in in the media out there somewhere of of members of the of Hillary's campaign complaining about what a witch she was. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, that should have been enough to say, well, so you're saying that some you know the information that is out there that Hillary's a pain in the ass to people that she's working with. And now there's a bunch of damaging emails from inside her campaign that have been go- gone public. Hmm. How might that have happened? Well, Russian hackers, obviously. Yeah. So that's the ridiculousness well, of the whole situation. You know? Well, that, that's exactly according to this new book called Shattered uh, that's being asserted that soon after she lost the election, she charged um, – John Podesta and another guy who was part of her campaign Mokey. team, Mook, Mook, maybe, yeah, Mook, and to uh, to come up with a reason uh, that she lost the election, and of course, you know, the the built-in Russians hack the election narrative was already there, and uh, and just said, okay, now run with it. Yeah. Uh, so basically, it was. You know, it was uh, this embittered uh, Hillary Clinton who went into this narcissistic rage for for losing the election, who also gave this narrative a added um, boost by by telling uh, Podesta to to now, you know, go full full Monty on the. If that's the correct term, or full, full bore, full, re, full retard, full retard, <laughs> total retard, <laughs> to, to blame yeah. Russia on her loss. Yeah, and we, so. it, it's amazing that uh, when you think about it, I mean, we probably just we're so we're so used to the levels of hysteria and stupidity and ignorance coming out of the mainstream media that we in the West that we um we kind of just were kind of immune to it. No, not immune to it, but we just kind of go, well, yeah, more the same. But it really is amazing that they. That they that they got away with that, and they were able to, uh, the, and, and the way the media kind of went full bore with it against against Trump, um, and convinced a lot of people, have convinced a lot of people, and have and since then have built this up into it went from attacking Clinton to being partners with Trump. Obviously, they segued into that. Well, obviously, if if the Russians hacked Clinton, then not, they did it for Trump. Therefore, they're friends with Trump. Therefore, here's a dodgy dossier on Trump, and they're. they're it's going right up until today. You know, we're talking about a year almost. We're talking about 10, 11 months. Well, it was July last year, so nine or 10 months uh, that this has been going on. And it's based on absolutely nothing. It's based on a complete, ridiculous, idiotic interpretation of something 
that that has a very clear explanation. You know, it's it's basically information, damaging information, came out from inside an organization about, let's say, the leader of that organization. Just imagine that. Put yourself in that position where you suddenly realize or hear or read something about damaging information coming from inside, clearly from inside that organization. What's your immediate thought? Well, somebody inside the organization released it, right? I mean, so, but that was, <laughs> that was just immediately discounted from, from the narrative and they went full bore. And the thing is, I don't even think, think this was Clinton's idea necessarily. I know she wasn't very uh, friendly with, uh, or, or, or she didn't have too many nice words to say about the Russians, but I don't even think this was her idea, you know? I think when this happened initially, um, uh, they may have been thinking themselves about, uh, there's an insider, what do we do about this? I mean, it was obvious to everybody that this was a, a DNC or a Clinton campaign insider who was responsible for this. But this is where you see the kind of hand of the deep state coming in and saying, okay, listen, uh, we have a, we're going to use this. We want to use this. We need this. And we're going with someone. Someone took over that narrative, that story, and immediately ran with it, i.e. the Russian version, the Russian aggregate version, for a very, they expanded it out to the broad geopolitical uh, war that's going on between the deep state and Russia that has been going on for several years or even longer, for 10 years, for 15 years, has been going on. And they immediately <clears throat> took that and used it uh, to and we see we saw that with this whole, the whole dodgy dossier that they came out with uh, in, in January against against Trump, you know, and his his his, uh, his uh, activity, alleged activities in Russia in Russian hotels and all this business, just complete hysteria, like absolutely ridiculous. But what's amazing is that that the media just ran with that. You know, the media was one hundred percent complicit with this deep state, these deep state elements. Who I mean, they're pretty much the same thing. Yeah, uh, exactly. You know, apparently they're 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 one and the same thing. The deep state, the spokespeople for the, the the U.S. deep state, is the U.S. media very clearly because they seamlessly ran with that narrative, and and used it to not not, not so much demonize Trump, <clears throat> but to if you if you look at it, okay, in, in the West, the focus has been to some extent on on Trump and you know the snowflakes and stuff, not my president, screaming in parking lots and stuff and wetting their pants in, in public uh, that Trump's their president. But you've noticed that the focus, the major focus has been to continue this demonization and our attempted global demonization of Russia that has, again, has been ongoing for uh, for several years. You know, you go back to the shootdown of MH17, Putin killed my baby, to Crimea, to Ukraine, uh, and even before that, you know, uh, stuff that was coming out about uh, anti-Russian stuff coming out in, in the West, um, so this has been ongoing, and it's so it's not really. Yeah. In a certain sense, it's 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 to do with uh, internal U.S. politics, but uh, in a more significant way, it's about this broader uh, geopolitical clash, global geopolitical clash between the deep state, the U.S. Uh, hegemons or would-be hegemons, um, global hegemons, and Russia, which is primarily, which is the real. Uh, force that stands against U.S. hegemony. Before last year's election campaign settled on Clinton versus Trump, there was a report put out citing anonymous U.S. intelligence sources leaked to the British Telegraph newspaper warning that every European government and other major institutions in Europe had been infiltrated 
by Russian agents, hackers, Trojans at all levels with a view to subverting their democracies towards a pro-Russian stance in world affairs. Mm-hmm. So they were putting, they had the model, they had the, the engine ready to go. Right. They just needed the fuel or the spark or whatever, or the signal, oh Jesus, we better put this into play big time. Maybe they didn't expect to have to bring it to the U.S. so soon or, or at all. Um, I think that's probably the most well, jarring thing for Americans. Why is Russia such a feature in our internal politics? Mm-hmm. You know, well, that's it's one exactly. thing to have it, this dynamic play out in Europe. Well, but it, it's also it's a good idea yeah. to have it play out in the U.S. because it brings it home, you know, and really whips up the the U.S. political establishment and gets them fully behind the whole Russia is evil. Get you know, you know, are you now, or have you ever been, or have you now, or have you ever had any positive thoughts about anything Russian or anything beginning with the letter R? That may be in some way associated with Russia. If so, do you enjoy, you, sir, are you enjoy drinking? Do you enjoy drinking vodka? Have you ever yes. eaten borscht or chicken <laughs> Kiev? Ever, right, exactly. I mean, it's um, it's amazing, you know, uh, and it, it shows the it shows the level of desperation. In fact, that uh, mm-hmm. that that's the thing. I mean, people think, oh, this is terrible. It's just all gone crazy. But they're positive, as, as positive as can get, as it can get at the, at the in, in these times. The positive uh, kind of spin on it is that these people are extremely desperate. They're really getting to the point where, uh, I mean, they're willing to um, make to effectively trash the idea of American democracy, the idea of, uh, to, to the American people. You know, uh, just so they can get get a dig in at Russia, they're willing to have uh, that that image of American democracy as as the last beacon of hope and uh, and and, <laughs> and freedom in the world. They're willing to just allow it to be trashed and have millions of Americans go, "Well, our democracy is just crap." I mean, a lot of them were thinking, I suppose, that it's crap anyway because they were they, 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 already thinking they, that. Well, some of them were. And, and a lot almost, of the die-hard ones were kind of like still believing in the American dream type thing, but those people, it's gone now because not because it's been ruined internally, but it's been ruined by Russia. But the bottom line is, everybody loses hope in the American dream in the American American. Yeah, there's, there's a, a recurring theme. They they only enjoy conspiracy theories, as we, the alternative people, have been talking about them. They only entertain them now in the context of being Russia doing it. Yeah. This is a case in point. Yeah, a democratic system is rigged from top to bottom. Well, not necessarily in 100% uniform ways, but it's heavily rigged and influenced and subverted and all the terms and all the accusations they've thrown on Russia. They can mm-hmm. present the concept to the masses only in that context. Right. Here's another example. A terrorist attack happens in St. Petersburg, what was it, just a month ago. And the BBC right away, you know, as people, you know, rightly, as they've been programmed to do, right, express sympathy for the Russians and God, those evil Muslims, did it again. Just we St. Petersburg, the BBC, among others, are putting out the conspiracy theory that the Russian government did this deliberately to further mm-hmm. justify their intervention in the Middle East and to, to suppress internal dissent at home. No problem with the concept. The conspiracy theory is now acceptable 
but only if it can be projected outwards. Because we are pure and high and mighty and civilized, unlike those barbarian, eastern, backward people. That's how they see it, I yeah. guess. Well, the other, the other uh, sacrifice I've had to make, and this is in the context of a certain number of, of Western citizens, is that they've trashed, in doing this, they've trashed the uh, the image, whatever image of respectability or honesty or integrity that the Western media had. A lot of people uh, have are seeing it, not have seen it and are seeing it on, uh, on an ongoing basis, seeing the the fact that these people are just a bunch of uh, hysterical liars that that they that they spit that they spew unadulterated nonsense uh, that even the average person in America who's still actually watching what's going on uh, can can see through can see for what it is. Uh, so in that in that sense, they're they really are shooting themselves in, their, in the foot. They they conjure up this image of this in uh, this person who's pathologically kind of uh, driven or has gone has just gone mad. In their desire to to take down a person and to accuse a person of being the the the, the evil one, the epitome of all that's evil in the world or all that's wrong with the world, uh, when that's not the case. But they're so consumed with their own delusions that this is the case that they're that they ultimately expose themselves as completely insane. Because how often, how far can you take that? You know, how far can you take false accusations? Uh, against someone before everybody starts going, listen, dude, I think you're taking this a bit far. You're, maybe you need to lie down for a while. Uh, you know, I maybe mean, take some pills because you're really not making a lot of sense anymore. Um, we should medicate you, you know. Uh, and that's what's happening. And the thing is, the more that the more they try to, to demonize Russia with ridiculous allegations, uh, the more they get that response of, People going, eh, I'm not sure. I believe you, and that just provokes them to even more ridiculous and outlandish allegations. So they're just on a downward spiral here, uh, and they can't even see it. They think they're think, well, we just have to keep, have to keep uh, telling more lies, just ramp up the lies, say more crazy things, and then finally everybody will believe us. But it's like, no, it's actually the opposite. You're actually dig. You're actually digging your own grave here, and but nobody can stop them, you know. Uh, so you just have to st- have to stay back from that kind of person, you know. Uh, st- keep a distance, you know, in case you get some on you. Mm. Anyway, well, maybe now is a good time to to look at how this dynamic is playing has just played out in the French elections, and also is likely to play out in the. British elections with this snap election that Theresa May has just put forward. Um, you know, as we were saying on previous shows recently, uh, you know, the Macron team has come out and said that uh, that the Russians were responsible for for hacking their election too. And uh, just like in the U.S., it set up the idea that if he were to lose, it would be the Russians' fault, which plays into that whole. Um, it's sort of a win-win. Uh, if I win, the Russians hacking didn't matter. Uh, if I lose, it was the Russians. Um, and even now you have, uh, I think, Boris Johnson uh, and others saying that if Corbyn wins, it's because the Russians want him to win against Theresa May. Mm. Uh, so uh, th- this is uh, this narrative 
that we're seeing is being amplified and repeated ad nauseum. Uh, it's like a thought virus uh, that that um, both the European and uh, and English media have have caught from the U.S. So, so hang on, hang on, Alan. I'm hanging. Hang in there. Emmanuel Macron won last week by the second highest score in the second round of a presidential vote in France since 1965. What are you talking about? All is right with the world. The right person is in. <laughs> End of story. The world is saved. No, yeah, why actually, are we even it, discussing this? It was it was rigged. I have no evidence to support my belief, but I'm adamant it was rigged. And it was rigged because I wasn't on the show last week. And if I had been, it would have been Le Pen and I would have got a nice hot mug of liberal tears. <laughs> I'm very disappointed I didn't get. Uh, no, I wasn't too disappointed because, you know, Jesus. Uh, well, it, it, seriously, the, the I idea. Think, of, go ahead. Go ahead. No, after you. Oh, I was just going to say, um, it, 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 it absolutely had to be rigged. I was just reading an article this morning uh, where there was a reporter looking at the results going, I don't get it, I don't get it. So he went and tried to interview Macron voters to find out you know, what they thought and why they thought he would be good for the country. He couldn't find any. Mm. He couldn't find anyone who had voted for Macron. All he found was really pissed off Le Pen voters. Who's this? Going, How Who's could this happen? Who's, who's um, this reporter? Oh, he's, he's in an article. Shoot, I don't have it in front of me. American or French? It's it's oh, it's a French reporter. It's a French. Okay. Oh, I know. It was an inter. It was an interview. A uh, global research chick went and interviewed uh, Diane Johnson, who's an American uh, journalist mm-hmm. living in Paris, and she told she told the story about another reporter who could not find anyone in his contact, you know, milieu that. Had voted for Macron, mm-hmm. be, <laughs> and yet he great. won. It would be great if they, if someone would put the time and effort into into doing a, a real, you know, good nationwide French nationwide poll. Uh, you know, have mm-hmm. thousands of people go around and just <clears throat> ask them all. You know, I mean, that would just be so funny because really, you wouldn't find <laughs> you would you would find one or two here and there, but the vast majority would just say no, no, didn't vote Macron. You know, if you got them to anonymously. Uh, say who they voted for, you w- probably wouldn't find anybody. And it makes sense because it's just it's complete nonsense. Like as we've said on on previous shows, um, uh, or uh, I said it somewhere, <clears throat> maybe on a on an interview with press TV or something like that. That um, you know, most people uh, giving an objective ob- uh, object- objective assessment of Macron, uh, the the final conclusion is that he's pretty much um, all on part two. You know. Um, He's, he, oh. All of his policies are, are the same kind of wishy-washy, centrist, middly kind of like hopey changey kind of policies. Uh, there's nothing really to get your teeth into. There's nothing remarkable or strange. So it's very much the same kind of like mediocre um, non-policies effectively. Nothing really that addresses any of the issues that are confronting people in France so that would make them want to vote for you. So in that sense, it's the same as Hollande uh, and he's Hollande part two. Uh, but the problem with that is and I think a lot of people understood that and saw Macron as that way. All you have to do is read the outline of his policies and you get that same impression. The only thing he has going for him is he's, he doesn't look like Hollande. He's not wibbly-wobbly like Hollande. He's a young guy with, with, with shiny teeth and stuff. And, and uh, But 
uh, I don't think that's enough to convince most French people because most French people are, you know, would, would not be that way inclined, not, not so inclined to just vote for someone based on their appearance, you know, because a lot of them are quite engaged in politics and stuff, so they would go more for the policies. So a lot of, a lot of people, French people, and I think a majority of French voters looking at uh, Macron, looking at his policies, would say, yeah, Hollande part two. Now, the problem with that is that uh, before Hollande left office, before, before towards the end of his, his recent uh, term as, as president, he was getting, depending on the polls, he was getting between 4% and 7% popularity rating. Mm-hmm. And then along comes a guy oh. who is him part two, and everybody votes for him. Well, the, the media put on a full court press. I saw on, on Facebook uh, somebody had done a, a montage of like Le Mans, Le Figaro. Uh, all the major French newspapers had him constantly front and center, best looking photos. I mean, it was, it was like a fashion shoot. Yeah. And all all pushing him, all pushing him. And and the other thing that makes it so astounding is that if you look at his record as an economics minister, he's got a totally globalist policy. He wants to get rid of the the social system. He wants to, you know, open it up to to you know globalist labor practices and all that stuff. And I mean, and the French would just are you kidding me? Yeah, that's that, that that's is an, like the, the cornerstone of their identity. Well, they, they've they spent the last five plus years protesting like. Violently, in some cases, and in increasingly larger numbers, against exactly those kinds of things. One of the laws that they hated was the Macron law. He was the economy minister, or yeah. something like that. Some some junior minister under Hollande passing yeah. these very laws. Um, I thought that 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 initial report on the night of the percentage projected for Macron sixty six point. Zero six percent. You've got to be kidding me. Six six six. They're they're toying with people with that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I know it's wacky conspiracy theory stuff, but on the other hand, it isn't. I mean, Freemasonry in France is like seriously entrenched, and they are into exactly this kind of stuff. I mean, the his uh, acceptance speech. They have him walk like through the Louvre and then give a speech in front of. The, the pyramid, the glass pyramid of the Louvre, which is all lit up except for the very top, the capstone, which is instead like this red eye-like light. It's freaky as hell. It's like they're saying, ha, ha, we won, we took it. Um, so you think everybody got into their, got hauled into their local lodge and said, if you're going to be a good Freemason, you vote for Macron? Seriously? No. It doesn't even need to work like that, no. No, I mean, the Mason, it's not necessarily <laughs> Masonic in that sense, you know. Um, <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah, Macron is just, uh, we've talked, to him, talked about him before, obviously, and he's not, uh, he's a joke, you know. I mean, it's it has all the hallmarks. People could just stand back and look at it. And <laughs> it has all the hallmarks of being, of being rigged. This guy came out of nowhere. Uh, obviously, massive financial backing. Uh, didn't have a party. No political, uh, no real political experience. No, certainly not elected to office before. Never ran a campaign. Never put himself in front of the French public for approval or not. And then suddenly he's just in no time. It's all wham bam. Thank you, ma'am. Done. And he's president. And before you can, you know, yeah. uh, there's a sense of like you know, blink and you'll miss it type of thing. It was just uh, steamrolled in in a very short period of time. People were were snowballed, if you know what I mean, by the, by the media, by the barrage of media um, uh, supporting uh, yeah. supporting him. 
And they were all told, more or less, that this is what's going to happen, you know. They were told nobody's going to vote for Le Pen. In fact, they were told nobody should vote for Le Pen, i.e. they were told directly, you should not vote for Le Pen. Anybody who votes for Le Pen is a Nazi. And everybody else was just kind of like dismissed. And Macron was just pushed in front of everybody's face. And I don't think it had that it had that effect. It might have affected some people, but it certainly didn't affect a lot of people. In fact, it provoked a different response in a lot of people where they felt they were being manipulated and coerced to vote for Macron. So a lot of them would have actually had the the opposite uh, the opposite response. But the end result is that by doing that, they can justify to all those people who did not vote for Macron, they can justify that well, uh, he, a lot of people must have those people who who. Who um, that reporter couldn't find who voted for, for Macron, the people who didn't vote for him, when they think about it and say, well, uh, yeah, I, I didn't vote for him and nobody I know voted for him, but yeah, that media campaign must have really worked on a lot of people. But it didn't, you know. There's just a plausible narrative uh, as to why he got elected. Um, but the guy is just a, he's, he's the last person He's the last person French people would have voted for, like a majority of French people would have voted for, and he's the last person that's good for France. He's this kind of basically, he's a neoliberal ideologue, basically. He's a front man for neoliberalism. He's, you know... You and, said he was Hollande part two, but I think he's more like Obama part two. Youngest oh, president ever, but, says all the right things. But that's the same thing. I mean, right. he's Hollande okay. part two in terms of his policies, yeah. which is a wishy-washy, uh, At n- least nothing, a- nothing get your teeth into policies, yeah. basically, that in terms of, and then they can do whatever the hell they want. You know, it's just like nice sounding policies. I'm going to fix this and this will be better. You know, the future will be better tomorrow under me if I do these things. Unemployment will be less. People will have more money. I will make French people happier by the policies that I do. I will do some policies and everybody will be happy. That kind of stuff. And it's like, uh, now people applause. are hurting type thing, you know. Yeah. Uh, that's not going to sway it for anybody. That's why... And that's why I think a lot, Le Pen got a lot of uh, support from people because she spoke to the real issues that people feel, are, are feeling, you know, and are, are thinking about. Uh, but he's, Macron is like, as I said, no party until last September. Oh, I'll just make a party on Marsh, you know, uh, on the move. Let's get on the move to somewhere, you know, sounds good. But, you know, people have had enough of that crap, you know. They were, they were disillusioned and, and disenchanted by Obama's hopey changey stuff and, you know, and that affected people in Europe as well. They saw just the the saccharine, sweet, bullshit kind of uh, phrases that just are meaningless. They're empty, hollow, you know, empty calories, basically. And um, sure, sure, some people are going to be affected by it. There's a lot of people who, who see serious issues in the world, particularly in the West uh, and in the world in general. And they want someone to come and speak to them and, and, and say, I'm going to take care of these issues. And they're going to, they want people to address the issues that they themselves are thinking about and feeling. And Macron did, did not do that whatsoever in any specific way because nice-sounding words don't get it, you know? If someone's got serious in serious pain, for example, using a medical analogy, uh, and they're saying, listen, I'm really sore, can you help me? Like, don't worry, I'm going to make you all better. No, no, but let me tell you exactly. No, 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 don't worry. It's, I'm going to make it all better. You'll be... You'll be all good. I'll have someone around to you tomorrow morning, okay? Yeah. Right now, I'm at the door. Just, you know, take one of these, take an aspirin and go to bed, and in the morning, you'll be fine. It's like, no, dude, you're not, you're not understanding. I've got serious issues here I need to address. And that person doesn't, you know, they're, they're, they're on a loser, you know? And he, he's, he's now going to, uh, he, <laughs> 52%, he has no MPs. Uh, obviously, because he just created a political party, so the political party did not exist in France. 
until last September. And he didn't even know if he was going to be president, so he doesn't know, he hasn't been moving on getting any MPs. There's local elections in, in uh, next month. But he's having to put together a bunch of MPs now, right? Uh, just find people. <clears throat> you know, just go around the, the bistros in Paris and grab people out of their seats and say, hey, you want to be an MP for me? Uh, that's more or less what he's doing to a certain extent because uh, 52% of the people, uh, of, the, of the MPs that he needs, and he needs something like, uh, I don't know how many he needs, 100 and... 180 or something. 70 or 80 or yeah. something like that. So he's having to find... Uh, but he's going to field... The point is that he's going to field candidates in every constituency in France for his party. All but one, I think, which is Manuel Valls' constituency, which is a sop to Manuel Valls. They say, we won't put anybody up to contest your seat, Valls, even though they kind of dissed him when he said, <laughs> Manuel Valls is the former prime minister under, under Hollande. Uh, we call him Lemon Face because he looks like he's just sucked a lemon all the time. Uh, uh, he's got this kind of twisted face on him. Anyway, he was really, we didn't like him at all. And he's the guy who outlawed the canal, right? Um, he's a real nasty piece of work, and he offered his services to uh, Macron after he became president. I am available. Let it be known that the great Manuel Valls El Blanco is available <laughs> for 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 to bring the prowess that is Manuel Valls to your new presidency. And they went, uh, you're going to have to get in line. And apply like everybody else. That's what they said. Um, Macron's <laughs> people said. Um, so he wasn't very happy. But then they said, "Okay, listen. What we won't do is we're not. You're not going to be part of our government. But, but we won't contest your seat, basically, in your constituency. So they're contesting. They're putting on uh, march new on march MPs in every constitu- constituency in France, which is uh, 572 or something like that, uh, minus one. So um, they need that number of people, basically. So five. They're looking for 571 people, uh, and 52 percent of those people are going to be people who have no experience in politics. None whatsoever. Not that just that they weren't ever elected. They, it's not that they're like insiders. They're, these are people, these are like uh, farmers or, you know, <laughs> firemen or uh, a doctor. These are the people that he's selecting. More than half of the people he is going to supposedly have in his party uh, are, are people who have never been in political, no experience whatsoever. And of course, that fits with his, with what he stands for, which is this... I'm ne- an outsider. Well, it's, well, it also fits with a neoliberal ideology in a certain sense. It, it reminds me of basically of the of the Bolshevik Revolution, basically, where the, where the Bolsheviks come in and, you know, they took all the people who actually knew how to do their jobs, kicked them out and said, you're an evil kind of bourgeoisie, uh, you're oppressing the people, and they pushed in people into positions that they had no experience in. Uh, but, and, and the result was that it destroyed Russian society. It destroyed Russian uh, industry, basically. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. That's what the Bolsheviks do. And, of course, this is what uh, the, these uh, neoliberals uh, espouse. It's, this, it's the same um, culture-destroying or society-destroying ideology that they have. So it's no surprise that he is actually doing this. He's going to grab a bunch of people who have no experience in politics and put them into politics. Now, that appeals to the left, though. That's because it's power to the people. You know, get the people in there, representation of the ordinary people. Power they know the what's people. going They know what's going on, but it doesn't work like that, you know? No. These people are going to mess things up in a very, very big way. And that's 50 But they have to be them. elected first, right? They right, still so going to field them all. So, well, gonna, so they... Yeah. They've right. got to rig another election in, in six weeks. Probably, it, I don't know if they'll rig it or not no. or whatever, but... Um, what will probably happen is he won't get the majority he needs in Parliament, so France no. will have what they call a... A coalition, basically. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know I read a few articles saying that, that a lot of people are saying, okay, well, Le Pen didn't get in, I, but they're now pinning their hopes on a good um, Federation Nationale 
yeah. representation in, in in the parliaments or whatever mm-hmm. they call it there. So I mean that that could be a weak point maybe. Yeah. I thought it was funny though that uh, today he was inaugurated. You know, um, Macron he became president officially today, and uh, Flanby that's uh, Mac- uh, Hollande uh, handed over <laughs> the reins of power to uh, in a wibbly wobbly kind of way. He probably dropped the reins before. He, oh, sorry, I dropped the reins. Here you go. Let me pick them up for you. Um, and but they had a meeting uh, in the Elysee before, uh, just beforehand, you know, um, or just before or after, whatever, uh, between Hollande and Macron, you know, handing over type thing. And it took, well, what they what they were talking about was, or what it was described as, was that they had a meeting to discuss, to kind of hand over the nuclear codes and to discuss uh, the most serious, the most serious issues, facing, issues the facing the country and terrorism was one of those and what, and what should be done. And it took 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Hollande really, you know, Hollande really learned a lot, you know, because here he is after five years of handling the issues in the country and really getting to grips with them. And he's got a lot to say, but it took 20 minutes. Uh, it probably didn't even take 20 minutes because that's all nonsense, right? That's nonsense. The idea that these people are like the heads of state are now, let's discuss what we're going to do now. I, as the decider in chief, must make the decisions that you have made, my, my brother beforehand. How, should, how will I shoulder this burden? Can you give me some advice? What should I do? We need we need many many days to discuss these issues, uh, and uh, Holland was like, I don't know. I didn't learn anything because I'm a puppet. I I just I just did stuff. I was president, and Macron was okay. Okay, message received. I'll do the same. Okay, so <laughs> this this is bad, bad news. <laughs> Certainly. No, it's great. It's not news. because the thing it's is good news. The thing is, the president of any country, mm-hmm. bar a f- except for a few, uh, are just puppets. They're figureheads. They don't really do anything. They don't have any backbone. They're there to serve uh, as as frontmen. I mean, today you didn't have the inauguration uh, of of a new president. You had the crowning. Of the new king of France, or the new, more specifically, <laughs> maybe more appropriately, the new prince of Paris, who will spend the next five five uh, years going out to official functions, uh, showing his face to the media, saying some good things, eating a lot of very rich food, and laughing at people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what he's there for. I mean, people still don't get this idea of, of, of the deep state, and it's not some weird conspiracy thing. It's, it's a very, very... Uh, Natural natural and obvious and practical uh, aspect of governance in in any country, really, but particularly in the West, where the country has to keep running. The country has a policy that is decades long and has a track. It's on a track that has been started many decades ago and is continuing on that track. And it involves thousands and thousands of people who do their jobs to, to make that run. One guy coming in doesn't change anything. Therefore, that guy isn't necessary to run the country. Therefore, he's just a puppet. He's a figurehead. He's there to make to give the impression of leadership and of elected leadership, most particularly, that the people are choosing this person to represent their interests and to have an influence. But he doesn't. He's only there for four or five years, some of them. You know, four years in the U.S. sometimes, one president, presidential term. A guy comes out of nowhere, 
you know, in the case of Trump or in, in other, in other uh, even, even Washington insiders, they, they've just been doing the job. They were lawyers or working for corporations or, or you know, beforehand. They, they, don't ha- they don't know what's going on. They don't know how the country runs. They don't know how the intel, oper- intel organizations operate. They don't know how foreign policy operates. They don't know the names of all the countries. And as soon mm-hmm. as they arrive, does it all grind to a halt? Because, you know, the intel, the intel agents are going to go, okay, there's a new Tell us what to do. Tell presence. us what to do. Tell us what to do. What should we do? Should we? Uh, well, just well, we've, all the planes are falling out of the sky. <laughs> I mean, because you haven't given any orders. There's a transition. It has to be really quick. You got to like it's kind of like a relay race. You got to pass that button really quick, or all the planes will fall out of the sky. All the operations overseas will fall. All the domestic stuff will just collapse because they're waiting on the word of the president. Hmm. It's nonsense. Of course, it's nonsense. So, who controls the country? Who runs the country behind the scenes, regardless of uh, administrations come in? Well, it's the deep state. And okay, that's a lot of people. I mean, it's not that the deep state is a lot of people, but there's a massive number of people who run the country, who do their jobs in, in the administration, in, in the different branches of government. They're all doing the job and they're career diplomats who are there for 20, 30, 40 years. And they're just going to keep their, keep doing their job as the new, uh, as the new administration comes in. But within that massive kind of um, operation, there is a, there's a hierarchy. Right, that exists in the same way those career diplomats exist, and they've, they've been there for a long time. And at the top of that hierarchy, at the top of that pyramid, are the people who pass down the orders of how to run the country, domestic and foreign policy, uh, trans administrationally. That is the deep state. It doesn't. It's not rocket science. But the people at the top of that pyramid uh, have an agenda that does not cater to or listen to the, the will of the people. You know, it's, it's not subject to the will of the people because they operate in an unelected way. They're not elected by the people. So electing a president is, is just, it's just for show. It's to throw the people uh, something to give them uh, the impression or to allow them to believe in the idea that they actually, you know, that there's direct democracy in that way, that they, their will, what they want to see happen at home and abroad, is is going to be implemented by a new administration that's only there for four years. Well, it's not. I'm sorry, it's not. It's obviously not going to happen that way. Uh, tough. So well, what about you? the... Go, go on. Yes, well, yes, Harrison. What were you going to ask, Neil? No, Harrison, you go ahead. Well, I was going to ask what... Uh, What's going to be up with this upcoming British election? Oh. Mm-hmm. Same thing, only... Neil, did you want to go to something else? Yeah. No, yeah, same thing in the UK. Only here it's a little bit different where the anti-establishment candidate is on the left, from the left, uh, real left or whatever. Mm-hmm. Jeremy Corbyn, he's, they don't want him. Whatever They're saying, whatever you do, don't vote for him. And mm-hmm. that's it. It's as simple as it was in France. It's as simple as it was in the US. So it's going to be the same thing. All the media hates him. You're not allowed to vote for him, and yet there's a lot of interest in voting for Corbyn in what he's saying. People like him, yada yada yada. So it's 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 the same phenomenon going on in the UK. Um, they're probably to rig it. Before, just pause there for a second. I just wanted to something that occurred to me to say just on the end of what I was saying <clears throat> previously <clears throat> is that that's why uh, Trump is coming in for such uh, demonization is because he 
is actually attempting to do what the people think a president does. Right? People think mm-hmm. they elect the president and the president is going to represent their interests. At least he's going to, you know, uh, assume some power to himself and actually take some independent sovereign decisions and uh, maybe even change the course that the country's on because apparently everybody thinks at, at whatever point in time, they think the country's not on the right track necessarily. It needs some change of direction. And I think they think that by electing a president, he is going to change the trajectory of the country. In some way, he's going mm-hmm. to assume power and actually make some decisions that actually implement different policies uh, and, and change things in some way. Every president previous to Trump did not do that. Every president previous yeah. to Trump just served their role as the puppet and allowed the deep state to continue on because they knew they were there for four or eight years and that's the end of it. They, they, they don't have much input. Uh, but Trump, because he wants to have input, uh, he there's a backlash against this unelected hierarchy within the deep state behind him that, is trying, that has come out against him. And that's mm-hmm. and that's what we've seen uh, since since last and since, since he's elected. And he's just scraped off a little bit of the surface dirt. He hasn't really gotten to the serious players yet. Yeah, and what's amazing is that uh, in that in that context, and I'm not saying Trump's so wonderful and all that kind of stuff, but he's he's trying to do mm-hmm. something. Uh, what's amazing is that uh, while Trump is actually for for the first time in a long time trying to actually assume some power and use the mandate that was given to him by the people to do something different for America, um, a large percentage of the American population have been turned against him mm-hmm. for doing exactly that yeah. by the media. So he, he comes in and says, okay, I'm going to be your president and fulfill your uh, your your." the mandate that you have given me, I'm going to take it forward and, and do something different. I'm going to assume some part of myself. I do what the people expect the president should do. And, the, and he's being hated for it by a certain percentage of the population. Anyway, mm-hmm. back to Corbyn. By a certain percentage well, put- of the population. And that percentage of the population, I think it's like Lobachevsky said, there's a glass ceiling. They can never actually get a majority. I think they, they can sway a majority in milder times when things are going better. But in these times when people are hurting, there's a glass ceiling. You see, you saw it in the U.S. when everything was going against, you know, every, all the messages were don't vote Trump. They still couldn't get a majority of people to not vote for the new Hitler. Well, same thing in France, well, we suspect, and the, but they successfully rigged it. Um, they're probably trying to do the same thing in the U.K. I seriously doubt there would, in all things being equal, be a anything but a Corbyn victory. In, in June. Mm-hmm. Because of this glass ceiling, they're never going to sway um, with their propaganda. They're never going to capture a majority of the population because they live in a different reality, these people. Um, they can drag a few percentages along with them, maybe as much as 30%, but that's it. So you're saying there's so going to be a Cor- have... Corbyn victory? Uh, in a fair world, yeah, <laughs> but uh, we're not in that. So probably so not. Rigged. No, rigged. Yeah. Yeah. Really the quick, the UK has a very outdated system. Um, it's first past the post, so the Tories won a majority government. That is, they could rule without uh, having to share power with the Liberal Democrat Party, uh, kind of a more minor party in the UK. In 2015, based on getting 25% of the popular vote. So it, it's kind of rigged, institutionally rigged, so to speak. Mm. But in addition to that, plus all the rigged, being rigged in the sense of all media saying don't vote for Corbyn, don't, don't vote for Corbyn, the third element will be 
probably have to they'll have to bring in dirty tricks to cook the cook the actual voting. Mm. Well, well, you know, and then there's there's always just up and up rigging. I mean, we saw that in I don't know how many people saw the articles or you ran a few on saw it where you know, people would get their ballots and there would be two Macron ballots, no you know, Le Pen ballot or the Le Pen ballot would be yeah, have a tear in that. it and it's spoiled. I mean, there, I mean, there was, about, you know, and you couldn't get a replacement. You had a spoiled ballot, you had to turn it in and then it wasn't counted. On. I mean, there's just, go ahead. Yeah, I need to interrupt you. Sorry. Um, that's, that's not actually, um, uh, I'm pretty sure they, they don't send out the ballots. Like that here in France, you you oh, go, in, in, you go and you you only get it at the polling station. So I've seen those yeah. reports, and they're the only reports being cited by Alternative okay. Press as being evidence. No, I, I wasn't. Those, those things, I, some, but, someone someone's playing a little dirty no, trick. Uh, I mean, what Carton's Car- referring to is that a lot of people, or certain, not a lot of people, but some people in France, um, were not on the electoral register uh, because they they had oh. they had changed address. Uh, so they went when they went to the polling station, uh, and they gave their ID. Their name was not there. I'm uh, sorry, I, I, I thought you were talking about the torn no, no, ballot papers they were receiving well, in the mail. I'm just saying that's that's one thing. I'm not saying that that the British system runs the same, but I'm saying that that they're, you know, besides the media pressure and and all of that stuff, is that they'll probably have to employ some actual technical rigging. You know, well, to, yeah, I'll you tell know, you what, in ballot the, boxes gone missing and stuff like that. Right. In the UK, as opposed to France, from the last general election, and I think um, some by-elections, so they're elections they have for for one constituency if if the the incumbent dies, Mm -hmm. there are ongoing police investigations into voting fraud. So it is is known to the British population that happens. Mm -hmm. It's been in the news long enough over the last decade, um, unlike in France. So... Yeah. But, but it never it never talks about uh, institu- um, you know establishment or institutional mm-hmm. <clears throat> voter fraud. Usually, it's voter fraud like by some individuals or some groups who try to do it. But they never talk about mm-hmm. like the state itself uh, or some yeah. aspect, some element of the state or the deep state in the, in the UK being involved mm-hmm. in, in in voter fraud. And yes, yeah, like you were saying, Carolyn, obviously it's so easy to to rig an election with with electronic voting machines. Right, yeah. and it's super easy. It's just you switch a number. Basically, it's like you know, write a little bit of code or something, and the number flips. You know, but there's yep. um, it's it's almost almost as easy to do with with paper ballots. You know, because we yep. saw it in the in the Scottish referendum a couple of years ago. Um, yep. That's where, what I was thinking of. Yeah, I mean, it was the same case there with where they a lot of people were going around. A lot of people were expressing uh, their their disbelief uh, with with the result and the fact that they couldn't find anybody. Who voted yes to remain? Or oh, sorry, no, no to no to uh, no to independence. Uh, everybody that they talked to was the same as them. We voted to to, to leave the to leave the United Kingdom. Um, and in that case, when we 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 wrote a little report on it, and um, mm-hmm. there, I mean, one we identified a couple of places. One was there was a, an unusually high number of postal votes. So those were coming into, uh, you know, a post out. They were being posted to a, a set, one central location. And um, how easy would it be to have someone in there to just dump a bunch more in, you know, 
or in any of yep. these situations where you, I mean, a lot of the places are monitored, but the postal votes area isn't really necessarily monitored because they're coming into, they're being mailed from overseas. A letter basically has been mailed from overseas and then they're being put together in a pile and stuff. And it's not, in this, it's not uh, scrutinized or watched in the same way that it is in the polling stations where you have observers walking around and checking things and looking at people counting votes. But even in those situations, sure, not you don't you're not going to have people stuffing ballot boxes in front of uh, observers in in a, you know in a sports hall or something where they're being counted. But what happens is that once all of those votes have been counted and put into boxes, they're all put into they're all put out the back uh, at a at a kind of uh, collection point. A collection point, and then vans drive up from courier mm-hmm. companies, and they, call, they all go into the back of a. A courier company, uh, a courier van, and they're driven off like for miles and miles and miles across the countryside to some other location, you know. So obviously, uh, if someone had the will or the motivation to organise and and the you know the infrastructure, or the the network to be able to and the power to be able to do that, uh, yeah, it's it's very easily done. Yeah, and they've they've set up the security services to be ready for this, um, because over the last two years, straight away as soon as Corbyn became the leader of the Labour Party. The you the British press said he was um, national security threat number one. So I mean they are primed and ready to go, and they will do their duty as part of this conspiracy because it's their patriotic duty. They will see it in those terms. Corbyn will be. He's been careful. He's been hedging his what he says now about Russia, but. Uh, even they, they preempt anything he might say about Russia by. Tying him to being a pro Kremlin Russian agent, which isn't so hard to do because he's of the traditional Labour left in the UK, um, which would have naturally sympathised with Moscow during the Cold War. So um, it's it's rinse and repeat in in Britain next month, just uh, just yeah. as we've seen here in France. Mm. Yeah, I mean they have they have experience of it. You know, obviously, like we're saying that Scottish referendum. I mean, it wasn't it was a referendum. It wasn't a vote. You know, but it's the same pro- the same process. I mean, you can. You can practice on a referendum, for example, refine your 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 procedures, you know. Uh, but that was so obvious that, that that was rigged. I mean, the vast majority of Scottish people are not do not like the English, you know, and um, and they all vote like immediately after the re- referendum in local elections. The Scottish National Party that was campaigning on independence basically stole the show completely, almost like got all of the seats in the Scottish Parliament right after mm-hmm. the referendum. But so. You know, but apparently, just a week, a few weeks previously, the majority, the same people who voted for the Scottish National Party on mass, uh, said no. A majority of them said no to independence, and then voted for a party that campaigns on independence. Um, <laughs> it, it's the same thing in France. You know, it's, it's like uh, with a, a Hollande Macron thing. It just doesn't make any sense. You know, um, but. That was a no-brainer that they would have rigged that Scottish election because, and it was about national national security for the for the British, because Scotland has large numbers, of, has a large amount of uh, of oil resources off its coast. Uh, yep. In fact, it would be it would be it would be an extremely wealthy country on its own in and of itself, kind of like Norway in a sense. It would eventually become like Norway with vast uh, oil resources. So, I mean, that, there's no way they're just going to let the Scottish kind of decide. Yeah, we're just going to take you know. B- billions and billions of resources that now is owned by Westminster down in London and take it all and just walk away. They're going to like, no, you're not. Yeah, I'm not over a silly vote. You're not because we're going to rig it. Yeah, this we is. We want the oil. You can have, you can you can have your subs back. <laughs> yeah. At this point, the Scottish 
independence movement, the Brexit issue, and this snap British elections, uh, they're, they're all, they were all, um, they've, they've all folded into one Europe, Europe wide crisis. I mean, Brexit is obviously related to the UK leaving the EU. Um, mm -hmm. And even, I mean, Scotland, Scotland, depending on how, what actually the Brexit referendum results were, um, majority of people there voted to stay in the EU. Certainly their leaders, the Scottish National Party leaders, uh, are saying to London, we want to stay in the EU. So listen, um, we're, we're calling another referendum and we're going back to join the European Union. Um, that's one issue. The reason I'm bringing this up is because um, not so much because of the internal issues that this brings up for the UK, but the EU is a bigger fish here, and it's using Scotland and Northern Ireland against London uh, as levers in in the Brexit issue, which is a Europe-wide issue. I mean, the whole thing is like Europe is in crisis. Okay, that's true. But the UK in particular is in the, the most severe crisis, I think, it's been. And, and they, like Joe was saying earlier, this is the classic example of digging your own grave. I mean, it, it, no way needed to end up like this. But it's it's decades-long policies um, of doing whatever the US says for its own imperial interests, um, of sort of being part of Europe, but sort of actually bossing it around or sabotaging things that might actually be beneficial to all Europe. You know, been in, we've been out. Oh, now we're decided we're out. You know, putting it on a, uh, not a war footing, but certainly like a very fractious setting with its European neighbors and creating a crisis that it, it seems to me anyway, it's gotten out of control from where they, they thought maybe they could use they can manipulate things to their own advantage like see not actually try to break up European Union but make sure it's one that you know is correct in its certain Anglo-Saxon values or God knows what um, and now it's blowing up in their faces and that's the reason for this election there, there would not normally have been an election this year it would normally be in 2020 but now they've got a an internal crisis um, possibly Scotland breaking away, possibly the north of Ireland returning to reunifying with the Republic. And yeah, I've no sympathy for the British elites whatsoever. Uh, you had this coming. You've been hoisted firmly on your own petard. So uh, I'm sitting here and I'm smugly enjoying watching them all, all of it. Watching them all. <laughs> Watching them step on that rake over and over again. <clears throat> um, the West is in crisis. Yeah, go on. Did you guys see that that picture? Uh, I think the Canary posted it. Um, there was uh, Theresa May was giving a little speech or something in front of like a van or something, and they took a, a photograph of it. And the PR photo, I mean, it's got her, you know, looking out. You know, off camera, it's like directly a picture of her face, so directly on her. But you can see her like looking off, presumably to the large crowd that's assembled around her. And then you've got like people in behind her and to the sides. And so, just looking at the picture, you get the impression that, of course, she's she's speaking to a you know a large rally in front of her. 
And then unfortunately, you know, someone else, <clears throat> some other photographer took a picture of the photographers taking the picture. And it's Theresa May standing in front of this van with about 12 people around her, you know, mm. doing a good show of, of pretending to be, you know, part of a bigger crowd. And she's looking off into, the, you know, the void. Uh, no one there, you know, giving her little little speech for her photo opportunity. And I just I just thought that it was the, the perfect representation of what we've just been talking about for the entire show, the the the, the political climate, the election climate of of, you know, Western democracies where the establishment, you know, politician is pretty much a uh, media creation. Mm-hmm. And it's all, I mean, it's wag the dog right. is what it is. It's just, it's total media manipulation. And then you've got the, the photographs of uh, Jeremy Corbyn's actual rallies where there are thousands of people, mm-hmm. um, you know, rallied around him. It's a real rally. It's a real crowd. Um, it, it's a real display of popularity. And then you get this picture of Theresa May with her, you know, the, tw- the 12 people that are, have been paid to uh, paid to know, stand there. <laughs> to stand there and pretend to be excited, and it was the same thing with Hillary Clinton um, mm-hmm. and 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 Donald Trump, of course, because Trump had, of course, huge rallies, people like ton- they line up for giant hours, crowds yeah. everywhere he went, and Hillary Clinton was glad, if, you know, if she got a couple dozen or a few hundred people at at her talks, and yeah, it's just that's where we're at, right? Yeah. It's full on in the UK, and it's it's amazing how I, I've I've spoken with people who who live there, um, who have never expressed any interest in politics or even just paying attention to what's going on. Um, they're noticing that it's all bad news about one of the candidates, one of the two main candidates. There's never anything good to say, and it it has turned them on in itself to paying attention. They didn't read any alternative stuff. They didn't even start watching the news frequently. It's just from passively picking up this repeated signals. It's having the opposite effect on ordinary people than what they hope. Mm-hmm. Um, well, bringing this back to France for just a moment. Uh, it could well be argued that Macron is um, Hollande part deux. Uh, at the same time, it, it seems like France is entering into a kind of precipitous decline because not only will he continue uh, with with uh, these kind of vague globalist policies yeah, and, and economic uh, plans and, and NATO um, agenda uh, acts, but it it sounds to me it looks as though, like the U.S., uh, France is going to continue on this trajectory of of uh, instability and chaos. Uh, possibly England too, probably England too, and uh, you just have to wonder what that's going to look like, especially if you know, like you said, Neil, you do have people kind of waking up to the idea that. Uh, that there's something very wrong in, in how um, someone like Macron has come to power, uh, especially when it becomes crystal clear after uh, some months or a year that he's just making things worse. I mean, what are we going to see a second revolution there? Do you think? Are we going to have? Uh, is it is it just going to go hummingly along at, at a low level um, 
They've already got discontent. their they've already got their scapegoat in place. They've got that huge immigrant population. People are not happy with the Muslims. That population is already, you know, in in dire straits economically, educationally. So when things go pear shaped, they've already got the person to blame. They've already got the group to blame. Blame the, they're they're all set up. Blame the Muslims and blame the Russians. Yep. Mm-hmm. That's that's how I would see it. Well, the problem much. with that is. Yep. The problem with that is that if there were ever a real like revolution, if things actually got bad enough that um, people literally like actually took to the streets and had a revolution, there's always, uh, I mean, there's the the trope that you know you you know a revolution it's just the same people end up in power. Well, that's not exactly true. It's the same kind of people that end up in power. Yeah. So it's actually a very dangerous situation, even for the existing deep state, because like Joe, you mentioned the Bolshevik example, mm-hmm. well, when the Bolsheviks, when the Bolsheviks had their revolution, they took out the, the deep state. They took out the people that were, at, that were actually running the country and had that mm-hmm. kind of experience, whether you agreed with them or not, whether you thought they were doing a great job or not. Still, those were the people that were the first to, you know, go to the guillotine metaphor, metaphorically speaking. And that's the, that's the danger of set, of creating a revolutionary climate is that you can't control revolutions. And chances are, if you're in like in a, in a high position and there's a real revolution, you're not going to have that position anymore. And it's going to be some know nothing radical, um, you know, guy or girl that just, you know, uh, like, um, there's this, the ropes here. Yeah. Like there's mm-hmm. this new, this new group that I saw, um, I think, what's her name that was on the, um, that Canadian girl with Ezra Levant, Lauren Southern, mm-hmm. like she went in, she went independent recently, you know, uh, cut her ties with Levant and, uh, started up, you know, just doing her own kind of video journalism and traveling around and doing things. And so she went to Europe recently, um, and she was meeting up with this group. I can't remember what their, what their like French name is, but I think they've got, um, chapters all over in various European countries, but they're called, I think, like the Identitarians. And they've got this logo. It's this yellow, this yellow, yellow logo, black circle with a black kind of um, inverted V on it, mm. which is the symbol of the Spartans. Mm. And so they're, they're this kind of anti immigration, um, you know, nationalistic movement. And you, she's interviewing these guys, and you can tell that she's totally on board with them because she agrees with their politics. And even if you agree with their politics, I mean, they seem like decent people, right? And they, uh, she goes into their their office, and they've got all their their propaganda, you know, just the the, the pamphlets and stickers and stuff that they that they make to get across their cause. And of course, they've got their their shiny logo, and then they've got, um, you know, further into the office, they've got a training room where they train in in martial arts and self defense, and uh, and it's these groups you can. Like even if you view them in the most positive light possible as having good politics, they know what it's about, they know what the problems are. That's the kind of group that that will spearhead a revolution. And when a group like that spearheads spearheads a revolution, no matter how good their cause and no matter how you know where their hearts are and you know in the right places, they are. What it comes down to is that groups like that are inexperienced when it comes to politics. Like mm-hmm. the Bolsheviks, when they come to power, that's when that that creates mess. the chaos. Yeah, mm-hmm. not only do they make a mess, they create the chaos that makes the opportunity for the the real pathological elements all, either already in that movement mm-hmm. or that then 
attach themselves to that movement that then take over. And it is total chaos. Like real, like real violent revolutions from below tend to be messes. And no, like no one, uh, no one except the people engaging in the revolution, um, like enjoy seeing that happen because it really makes a mess of everything. Mm. Carolyn, did did you just mention Robespierre? Robespierre. Robespierre and yeah. and the reign of and the reign of terror. terror. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just saying that that that's who you get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't but, think. We're... But I'm just saying that that initially, if if when things go sideways, you know. But before we get to the full-on revolution, is that there is there is uh, within the French political landscape a scapegoat in place. That was mm-hmm. that was my point, and where mm-hmm. where it goes from there yeah. could be just really bad. Yeah, I don't think we're looking at that kind of a revolution in France or or anywhere in in the world. I mean, um, the only kind of revolutions you're going to have are the kind of stage managed ones that, uh, and and they're usually partial. They're not really revolutions. They're you know they're. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The kind of Ukraine like color revolutions, yeah. color revolutions, based there, they're, they're they're managed and it's a kind of pressure valve and it's usually to affect some kind of a change or to you know it's usually under control by the by the same kind of powers that be. Um, but there's I a think, there's a place to direct all of that discontent. Right, and people are kept. There's, there's a target to direct it to. Right, and the people that are. The way they keep people contained and it's a very effective tool is through terrorism, and obviously that's. Um, that's uh, very much on the table, let's say, and has been for the past number of years. Where um, you can stop any kind of uh, or put a, put a lid on any kind of social unrest or you know genuine social unrest that might lead to a kind of revolution or something like that. That that is not fully in the hands of the, the powers that be. You can put a lid on all that by basically periodically having uh, the enemy of the day uh, come and uh, blow up a supermarket or. Uh, movie theater or you know carry out some kind of a mass mass killing you know uh, that basically puts everybody into a state of shock and keeps them all quiet and kind of looking to authorities authorities then immediately come in and are you know taking control and, and and making everybody safe you know it's a very it's a crass blunt object but it seems to work very well you know because it's because it's 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 such a trauma to to the kind of body poli- body public um and so I think we'll see that used uh, again um, in order to keep keep a lid on things. Uh, but then I think um, ultimately it's not containable because I think that you know there are other factors. We're we're talking about politics here, but there's the environment that is sitting in the background, uh, kind of going a bit uh, increasingly going uh, crazier and crazier, or engaging in more and more chaos. And I think at some point that's going to kind of break out in, in one way or another, where you'll have um, you know the, the the changes in weather patterns and uh, flooding in many different parts of the world, and you know unseasonal weather, uh, damaging crops. Uh, once you have a situation where you know there's not enough food, for example, as a result of envir- environmental uh, causes, then um, well, then all, all bets are off basically, and that's the kind of it's almost like the saving grace uh, from this uh, this containment that people have been subjected to, you know, where they've been periodically traumatized and then uh, told to be quiet or scared by something, but told that they're not allowed to be scared about it. They just have to, to, have to shut up. And, you know, here I'm referring to the terror attacks and the anti-Muslim sentiment that, that has been engendered over the, a large, uh, the past 10 or 15 years, while at the same time, then people are told that you're not allowed to say anything bad about Muslims, you know. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, that's real kind of mind F, if, if you know what I mean. And, 
and it's not nice. It's it's very unpleasant uh, for for the people as a whole, and also containing them in that way with those kind of terror attacks, where you just kind of like deal a blow to the public, the public kind of uh, consciousnesses. You know, it just keeps people down and stops them from actually expressing what they feel, even if they're not right in expressing what they what they think of you. Know, if it's been manipulated, their their genuine feelings, and but they're not allowed to express them. You know, so it's an intolerable situation. I think, and in that sense, the saving grace would be that the environment would intercede, and in that sense, save people uh, by introducing a new uncontrollable or uncontrolled uh, dynamic into the situation. And that's unfortunately that's the best uh, we can hope for. I think, and it's not uh, not very good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the best we in the West can hope for. Every, well, everybody. Meanwhile, in Beijing, um, the formal launch of the One Belt, One Road Forum began today in Beijing, China. Um, you probably heard about this plan to connect Asia, Europe, the Middle East, and Africa with a vast logistics and transport network. Putin was a keynote speaker. He says this promises, or potentially promises, the beginning of a, quote, civilizational project. That will transform the world as we know it. Erdogan was the next speaker, made the point of saying it would link Asia, Europe, Africa, and South America. <laughs> I don't know if that's We're pointed or just. Party? I'm afraid he's he's saying you're not in it, but who knows? Maybe <laughs> maybe he'll he'll open up if uh, if if things change. Now there were some Western leaders there um, from Spain, Italy, Greece, the three southern EU countries. Uh, in the Mediterranean countries, that's interesting. Uh, two Central European leaders, both of whom are castigated in Europe for being pro-Putin and fascists and yada, yada, yada. Well, if they're fascists, what are they doing in Beijing? You know, the leader of Czech Republic and Hungary. All South South Asian leaders were there, except one notable absentee, India. Um, mm. Duterte showed up, of course. Um, <laughs> several South American, the leaders of Chile and Argentina are speakers, um, and the British Chancellor, British Finance Minister went. Of course, they couldn't miss it for the world. But I, I wonder what goes through their head. They 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 seem they seem to get what's going on. Mm-hmm. I think I'm talking about the British in particular here, the British elites, and yet they they're doing their part to. Help it along, but no, the, I'm not. I'm no, they're, they're there to try and make a fast buck, basically. Right, quickly as possible. Yeah, they're there to say, well, look, maybe we can make some money out of this, but we're not going to support it ideologically or in no. any kind of infrastructure kind of way. Um, but the, the, the project, I mean, it's been an idea for a couple of years, but now actually heads of state are meeting to discuss, you know, where these trillions of dollars worth of investment are going to go. So it's happening. And the U.S. ain't in it. In fact, the U.S. piped up when it heard learned that um, they, they sent a formal objection to the Chinese <laughs> foreign ministry in Beijing when they learned that the, the Chinese invitation of a North Korean delegation, quote, sent the wrong message at a time when the world, i.e. the USA, was trying to pressure it over its repeated missile and nuclear tests and warn China, hey, buddy, Quote, North Korea's attendance could affect other countries' participation. You know, they mightn't turn up if you, it doesn't look good. It's bad PR. Trust us. You don't want to invite North Korea. Well, the heads of state of 65 countries showed up. And together they represent 65% of the world's population. So if 
the world really felt that way about North Korea, then the world wouldn't be in Beijing. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that's um, I don't know what that means. I mean, that's long term. This is the sort of this is the stuff of deep states and multi-decade policy. It could be a generation before anything comes to fruition, but step by that step. is world-shaking stuff on a long-term scale. But not even on a, on a short-term scale as well, in terms of uh, the, the the ties and economic uh, deals that we made between countries. You yeah. know, there, there there are multiple ties being being made one after the other. You know, and who exactly. knows what the who knows which which tie which one is the one that binds. You know, that that basically makes it a, a foregone conclusion. Sure, there's a lot of development to happen, but we'll just tip it over in that direction. Yeah. You know? uh, and there was a very interesting. You know. Yeah, the, the the really interesting thing too. Shoot, I read so many articles this morning, but there was an interesting line in one about this meeting, in that you know China's created this initiative and and you know the the whole thrust of it is is you know if you want to get crass, let's just all make money together. Mm. Why not? You know, we'll put in these roads. You trade, we trade, we all make money. But the key thing was, no country is under pressure to join. Mm-hmm. That if you want to get in on this, great, come to the party. But if you don't want to, you know, nobody's going to be sending an army or drones or dropping bombs on you. You know, mm-hmm. and that's that's so different from the Western approach. It's mm-hmm. it's like it's sensible. God, it, 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 it terrifies them because it it puts the way it's always been done till now in stark contrast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know exactly. Th- this is. This is the rest of the world's response to it. Just mm-hmm. when, you know, a world, what does a world empire need? Well, it needs a world enemy. That's why I had, it, it came up with this crap one, Muslim terrorism. You know, it's really poor and shoddy. What a, a mm-hmm. mighty US slash global empire needs is a global enemy. Well, you used it, to have one, the USSR. That was a good one. Well, now they've got Russia. Now they got Russia, but nah, it's weak. It doesn't well, throw a fight. Well, the problem is Russia. Yeah, Russia isn't playing the playing playing the game. You know, at least at least with the Muslim enemy, you can you can stage manage or create the enemy yourself and run it in the form of ISIS. But Russia, if Russia isn't going to play the game of isn't going to play the part of being your enemy, well then you can't, you can't make it up. Basically, you can't like grab a bunch of people and put Cossack hats on them and have them run around European countries saying death to, death to America, you know? It's not going to work, <laughs> although that's a nice image. Um, yeah. And that's exactly why you just don't hear in, in Western media all of the many uh, talks that uh, Lavrov and Putin give before these uh, these forums and these no, meetings because they, they completely uh, spin the Western narrative on its head. Uh, I mean, it the numbers it. it undercuts it, and the numbers of times that that uh, that you hear Lavrov and Putin and others saying reasonable things or asking reasonable questions, I mean, it's it's every week, uh, mm-hmm. and it it's uh, it, it just completely, uh, as you said, Neil, it, it it undercuts the the hysteria that uh, that would be uh, presented as a as a as a valid. F- way of looking at Russia right now in the media. So, um, and another thing is if, if you ever see, uh, really see Putin speak before, uh, the government or, or Lavrov talk before, a, you know, a group of people in, in his foreign ministry, I mean, these are, these are hands-on leaders. 
uh, who who spend many hours well prepared uh, speaking before their you know their colleagues and addressing point by point by point by point where things need to be improved, where things have been improved, who's doing what. I mean, th- this presents such a different uh, perception of of who these people are. Uh, and I mean, how often do we do we see any of that from from Western leaders? It, it's the most we, glib, we, superficial, yeah, you we, know, soundbite presentations only, you can imagine. We only have a sim. It's a simulacrum. It's a it's an imitation of that, and that's all of it's ever been. Occasionally, an actual leader tries to be a hands-on leader, and then he's usually assassinated in the West. Um, the, and whenever, whenever an Eastern slash, you know, Southern, whenever someone from any other part of the world actually does that, what Western leaders pretend they do in their role, then that person is called, he's a new Hitler, he's a strong man, he's an authoritarian, he's this and this. Tyrant. Tyrant. And, oh, they're very backwards. They're very undemocratic and he's one person having all that power. Oh, terrible. Imagine, oh, imagine how horrible that would be. And yet, um, in the West, we all kind of agree to pretend in our social contract that that's actually what we have too. Mm-hmm. But we all know that it isn't. There's this kind of like, there's no one driving the thing, or if there is, they stay in the shadows. And that's how it's been done till now. And it's coming apart of the seams, thankfully, one way or another in our time. And on that note, I think we're going to call it a night, folks. Um, thanks to our listeners and to our chatters. We hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, we'll be back next week with another show to be announced. Same time, same place. Until then, have a good evening, everybody, and stay safe. See you next week. Bye. 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 Bye.